Well, hello there. Hey, hi, how you doing? Good day. Greetings, salutations. I really, I don't know what to say to set the tone on these things, but my attempt is to say, welcome to Hail Yes, the Detroit Free Press podcast about University of Michigan athletics. My name is Tony Garcia, Michigan beat writer for the Free, as always. I'm joined by my colleague, Reiner Sabin. He's our Big Ten insider. And this morning, he wrote a column about MSU, not super positive, I thought fair, but not glowing. And so I think today that means he's our Michigan guy. But by the end of the week, when he has to write something about Harbaugh, he'll have his green and white glasses on. He'll be an MSU slappy again. But the narratives on the message board aside, what we both are is football guys. And for that, there's no better time of year because Reiner, we're recording this at 322 on a Monday when this hits uh, the, the the inboxes of the masses, it will be Tuesday morning and we will be five days away from the Michigan football opener. It's exciting, but I'm up most excited about finally appearing on MGO blog again for, for the first time in two years. Did are yeah. you so what's your standing on, on MGO? Are you now back in, in the in the good graces? Because I'm not. Uh, yeah, no, I, I don't think I'm in the good graces, I would say, but I'm back on there for for the first time in I think a, a, a couple of years. So yeah. Well, you, you're making making major moves, as they say. Um, but <laughs> but we're gonna the plan the plan for this show. We are, we are excited. We are we are excited um, because we've had to talk about. I mean, it's it's been th- thoughts about like your column, right, about the MSU stuff and all the all all of what has transpired and what could be and what it looks like. And that's what this Michigan offseason has been. Do they have enough? Or where are they short? Where are they lacking? And finally, those conversations can be done, right? We are, it, it's about to be football and, and, and just the X's and O's, which is why we want to start this show with three thoughts uh, related to the Eastern Carolina game. Michigan plays East. <laughs> I said Eastern Carolina. It is East Carolina. Everybody, East Carolina. I have been lambasted in my inbox for referencing them as Eastern Carolina, for the East Carolina game. So, uh, I mean, just the dynamic. So three thoughts about that game. The dynamic of the coaching staff, Jim Harbaugh, we spoke to him, and and he did sort of elaborate a little bit on how he made his decisions, why he made his decisions uh, for the way he's going to handle the coaching staff during his three-game suspension and sort of how how that will look for East Carolina. Number two, uh, some specific position groups uh, with with play and, and players to watch because Michigan's favored by five touchdowns. So it's hard to take away too much from one game. And then third, uh, a highlight of J.J. McCarthy and, and really his importance to the team. And Reiner, you really wanted to emphasize that because you think it's being overlooked or I don't know about overlooked, but. It, it's not talked about. about. It's, just, yeah, it's just not talked about as much. Yeah, right, right. Right. And then that'll wrap up the first block. And then in the B block, Stadium in Maine, just a little bit about more about what we heard from Jim Harbaugh this morning on a number of things on his suspension, but also the state of college athletics, as he put it, um, and the status quo that he says needs to change. Uh, we'll break that down, what it means, what we agree with, what we do, what we don't, if, the, if there is anything. And then finally, we bring in Andrew Burkle, our main man, our producer for the segment three, and we start making some college football picks and then people see what our bank accounts look like uh, when we're allowed to bet. Okay, so that's going to be sort of the way we handle it and the the game plan moving forward. And it starts with the dynamic of the coaching staff. We now know Kirk Campbell, uh, who was promoted this offseason from an analyst to quarterbacks coach. He will be serving as the offensive coordinator, uh, while Jesse Minter, who is acting as head coach, will still be calling the defenses. Reiner, how do you see that affecting 
the way Michigan operates. Well, yeah, again, I think it's really interesting uh, when you think about the fact that Sharon Moore would have technically been making his debut as the sole OC last year. He shared uh, duties with Matt Weiss uh, before Matt Weiss was let go in the offseason. So uh, this would have been kind of his debut, uh, kind of handling the entire offense by himself. Uh, now you have Kirk Campbell, who people within the Michigan program are very high on and think he could have a really positive influence on the passing game. And so I think uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, also, when Sharon Moore gets reintegrated into, uh, you know, uh, the program as far as calling the plays on game day, uh, you know, going forward, how that works coming off, you know, Kirk Campbell's, uh, you know, play calling uh you know, debut himself. And so it, it'll be interesting to see, you know, again, the ramifications, I guess, going forward in the next couple of weeks. Um, as far as, uh, you know, in general, I think, you know, Michigan should be able to handle this pretty well. Uh, I think it helps that Jesse Minter, uh, you know, is down on the field calling play. So he, you know, deals with the players, see, you know, between series goes and talks to them, kind of figures out, you know, meets with the other assistants. So he already has that kind of uh, uh, behavior already mapped out. Um, and so same with Sharon Moore, when he gets his shot at coaching uh, the team in week three, uh, you know, he's also been down on the field too. So this is not a situation where they're coming down from the box and having to do this and, and a completely new dynamic for them. It'll be a pretty seamless transition, I think. Some familiarity in that sense is, is good is is very good when when there's this much movement. But but back to the to the offensive side of the ball for, for a moment. As far as Kirk Campbell is concerned, do you think it's as simple as passing guy, quarterback, coach, run, passing game coordinator? They're going to try to throw throw the ball more because. It's not as easy to, to your point. I think you make a great point because there is no track record for what Sharon Moore, a Sharon Moore, quote unquote, offense looks like. We don't know how this compares or would compare to what it would have looked like. Right. So I don't know if there's a way to assess other than what the numbers they did last year, 62 percent running, 38 percent passing compared to that. I guess we won't really be able to see how pass heavy or, or run heavy it is. But do you see Kirk Campbell wanting to I mean, operate in the pass game, or is he going to keep this in the in the mold of, of what we know as Michigan football? I think they're going to want to set the tone with the running game. However, I do think that they're going to try to throw the ball more in these three non-conference games than maybe they did uh, last year because this is the opportunity to kind of expand the dimensions of the passing game that they really didn't take advantage of last year. So, you know, whether that you know, is Kirk Campbell taking that on himself, or which I don't think it will be the case. I think it's more, you know, again, Sharon Moore and Jim Harbaugh are going to be there throughout the week. So, I mean, they're going to lay out the game plan. And, you know, obviously circumstance dictates a lot of it too. But uh, I would imagine that, you know, passing is going to be more heavily emphasized, especially during this period when they can actually work out some things in the passing game to kind of prepare themselves for, for the conference slate. Yeah, and and this is a team that that can be passed on, right? So I guess we'll just use that as as a place to move to sort of the the, the second element of this, and we can continue to talk about the the coaching dynamic as part of this. But as for the players, as for the X's and O's of Michigan versus East Carolina, I mean, 
I don't, I don't see, I don't see Blake Corum being slowed, right? Donovan Edwards is, is going to get his. Um, but I, I want to talk about, are there a few people individually or units or ideas, themes that Michigan has talked about in this offseason? I have some that I will be watching uh, for, for how it manifests in this week one, because I know that Blake Gorham is going to run for 100 yards if Michigan wants him to run for 100 yards. If he doesn't, it's because they're not handing it to him that many times, right? So that's not what we're going to learn here. I wonder what you, Reiner, uh, give me, let, we'll go a little back and forth. What Number one, what what is that first curious thing that you're looking for? Well, I just want to see, you know, how much, you know, J.J. McCarthy, uh, you know, throws the ball and, you know, what his chemistry is like with the receivers this year. I mean, uh, you know, at times there were issues about that and he's alluded to it or, you know, he didn't quite understand how fast, you know, certain receivers ran and trying to get the timing down uh, and such. And that really kind of affected the deep passing game. Some of that was resolved towards the end of the year, but it'll be interesting to see how, you know, far they have grown or how far they've progressed in that area um, for sure. And then, um, you know, as far as the running game, I'm actually more interested to see how much they use Donovan Edwards as a receiver maybe and, uh, you know, maybe have Quorum and Edwards on the field at the same time. But Edwards split out wide. I mean, they did some of that sometimes, you know, last year where they had Edwards go out wide. And, you know, again, he could be an extra receiver for them. Uh, you know, he's certainly shown his ability in that regard. So I think, I think that'll be interesting to see how, how much they, uh, kind of use Edwards as kind of a utility player. Yeah. His catch out, his catch against Hawaii that he's talked about mm-hmm. where he, where he hurt his patellas. Um, an example, I think he had a, a catch, I think it was a third down play against Rutgers, like third and 13 yeah. lined up in the slot and, and converted a nice first down. So, uh, no, uh, another good point. I'm just curious. I think I think Michigan might still keep it pretty vanilla, right? Like I don't I don't know how, how many tricks of the, of the trade they're going to be showing uh, this early on. But an- another thing on the on the opposite side of the ball, I mean, how I have not heard this much emphasis on communication, maybe ever uh, in, within one specific position group. And I thought it was really striking. I was looking at the numbers. So not last year, Michigan had thirty seven sacks last year. That was tied for eleventh nationally. That's I mean that's not bad, right? Top ten. Yeah, right they're about in getting after the quarterback. And if you talk to anyone on that, in that unit, on that line, it's like they never created pressure. Like they had no negative plays, no TFLs. And they've been talking about the dynamic between the edge room and the interior line and the communication between them and making sure they're on the same page. Right. If like when you're stunting, how far someone's going uphill or like, like if you are not keeping contained, how far you go up, like how far you push the pocket and just all the different ways the the pieces work together. I, I, I want to see that. Um, I mean, this is a, in terms of ice, this is a very inexperienced East Carolina team. Last year, Michigan would have been catching a team uh, with some decent talent that, yeah. that, that, that had, that had some proven pieces. I mean, they lose 2000 yard receivers, a running back who had 1700 all purpose yards and 15 touchdowns and a five year starting quarterback. And I have people in my mentions from ECU talking like, why did you pick Michigan by 50? Like, I I mean, it, it, that's kind of how it looks, right? And so there, there is a lot of unknown. So this is a – the point is, this is an offense that is working through a lot of dynamics. Mason Garcia, their new quarterback, uh, is actually, I think, the highest recruited, not just quarterback, maybe player uh, in, in ECU history. So he, he's, a, he's a talented guy. He's a four-star. But – 
it's it, it's one of his first. I think it's his first career start. He's thrown thirty eight passes ever. I mean, and and not a lot of proven around him. So Michigan's defense should have the chance to to sort of live in the backfield. So how 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 well do they do that? Yeah, I mean, I I, I think so too. I mean, obviously the the emphasis is also is to get the you know defensive tackles more involved in the pass rush. And also, I think, try to get more pass rush on the early downs where it's not as obvious, uh, you know, that the team is passing in that situation. And I think that's that's been the the, you know, the the big emphasis, I think, from their standpoint is to not, you know, be able to just rack up sacks when it was obvious passing situations. Right. And so, um, you know, I, I think that they're going to be really looking to do that in the early downs to create havoc uh, that way. And so that you're getting in those, you know second and long, you know, third and long situations where it becomes a lot more easier to play defense in that situation than than even when they were getting, you know, sacks kind of late in the games, you know, against like Iowa, for instance, when they were just piling up, you know, one sack after the other. Mike, uh, Mike Morris, the defensive yeah. player of the year, right, had like two or two and a half sacks. Yeah, and Yabi Oki was, you know, there and, you know, it was a big sack party. And that that's, you know, those are – those are obvious situations where you're going to be able to pass rush, but being able to kind of do it early in the game, also on early downs is, is kind of the key to being a really good pass rush team. And I think they want to get more consistent in that area uh, going forward. Uh, you know, as far as ECU, I don't think this is going to be an app state game where, you know, again, like if you go back to that game, I mean, again, the speed caught them off guard. Well, Michigan's got a lot of speed, you know, that's the thing. Like they, they, they got speed and power. And so I think, you know, again, them not they're not going to get you know in that kind of position against you know or some team from you know another part of the country is going to be able to sneak up with them you know sneak up on them in some some way shape or form because you know they've got some kind of hidden advantage i mean here like michigan's got you know power and speed uh and they they built a quality roster in that regard so uh i you know again i think that this is uh you know pretty self-explanatory you know what the outcome is going to be yeah, and even in the har the part of the Harbaugh era where things were not at this level, right? When they were ten and three, eight and five, but not yeah. really, not beating Ohio State, not beating the top dogs. Michigan consistently took care of the business that it was it was against the teams it was supposed to handle, right? And, and East Carolina is one of those teams. And I thought it was uh, we're talking about interior pass rushers. Another person we met with today, uh, fifth year senior Cam Good, uh, former uh, UCF transfer. I thought he had some 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 good thoughts from his time. Uh, because they were, uh, they, I mean, they were pros. He has he has played East Carolina, and I think the word he used was sneaky, right? Mm-hmm. Like he said, right. he said, I mean, and and I, other people in Michigan's program have called them giant slayers. Yeah, uh, and you get you got to do that, right? You got to make sure that you're that you're giving. I mean, and East East Car- East Carolina is not UNLV, right? What we will get to next year, a, a, a program with almost quite literally. No tradition and right. no winning of any sort. East Carolina is not a good program. It is a proud program uh, that that punches up every now and then, but they're but they are cycling down while Michigan's cycling up. Right, and uh, it's absolutely and uh, you know again, um, <laughs> it, it, I'd, it'd be very hard for me to imagine that Michigan, you know, falls into some kind of trap here. I mean, I think they're on notice. You know, again. Uh, Jesse Minter is familiar with East Carolina, you, as you alluded to. Cam Good uh, has played them. So, I mean, like, they've got people that inside Michigan kind of reminding, 
you know, everyone else of, you know, the possibility, but at the same time, I mean, there's a huge talent disparity between the two programs at this point, uh, where it, it seems hard, you know, to fathom that, you know, Michigan could, you know, be kind of pushed in this game at, at any point really from first quarter to fourth quarter. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Wait, like there's always, there's always the pass to the upset, right? I right. mean, the path, the path here is, I mean, for you, you lose the turnover battle four to zero. Uh, I, I actually, I actually couldn't even make something up. Yeah. I, I mean, again, and, and Michigan's not a team that turns the ball over a lot. I mean, they, they play not to turn the ball over in a lot of ways, which again, helps them. And, uh, you know, uh, to avoid the upset. I know, I mean, again, 2019, they, you know, played Army and it was very close. And obviously, you know, that went into double overtime, I think. And it was, uh, but, you know, again, that was a different style team that plays a different style of football. And like Michigan played into their hands by running the ball a lot. I think Zach Charbonnet had over like 30 carries in that game and, and such. I mean, here, I think Michigan's going to try to throw the ball and they should be able to throw it pretty successfully against this team. And, uh, you know, again, JJ McCarthy is a good, you know, weapon that would, you know, avoid, you know, Michigan falling into that trap, uh, you know, just based off of his dynamic ability and same with the, you know, the other skill players that they have available. Like, you know, again, Blake Corm and Donovan Edwards are, you know, very reliable, you know, to get you, five yards a pop or whatever. So it's, uh, that allows you to keep moving the ball and, and, and avoid some of those maybe three and outs that you had against army and, uh, frustrating sequences. So I, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, this, this team is built to handle the weaker teams for sure. I mean, they're, it's built to handle everything, right? Like it's, right. Built, it's built, it's built to beat Ohio state and it's built to be able to compete with Georgia and Alabama. And when you've done all those things, like handle Ohio State in the trenches, but enough speed outside to still be able to to compete elsewhere, like like think about their increased speed on the edge at linebacker, right? Like things they did not have a few, a few years uh, ago. I think it remains to be seen about Alabama and Georgia. Again, like we still really haven't seen them go toe to toe with that like other physically imposing team with like arguably better talent, you know. And there. so like so I, I'm I'm still, but again, they can they can play with like a TCU that style because they've got speed on the outside as far as skill position players. But what I'm saying is this was, it was built with that in mind, right? Like we don't know how it will hold up when they get there, but we know what the direction and what the intention was of of its build. And Mm -hmm. East Carolina where teams of, of, of that level aren't even on the radar of, of, of how Michigan wants to do sure. things. And so, and so I want to get back to, uh, to, to our third thing, the, the name you just mentioned. And, in my mind, without question, the single biggest linchpin of this team, it often is in college football, the quarterback. Um, but but usually it's because quarterback is is the decision maker. He's the leader. He always has the ball in his hand, at least to begin the play. So it's just obvious, right? For Michigan, it seems like more than that. And for me, part of the reason is because of all the depth and pieces elsewhere that might not be there. But Reiner, you wanted to explain why why. JJ is, uh, I, I'll use the same word, the linchpin of this team. Well, and, and like you said, that uh, the depth there is not nearly as good at other positions. I mean, there would be a huge drop off between JJ McCarthy and whoever's you know ends up winning the backup you know position between Davis Warren and you know Jack Tuttle. Um, you know that it's not even an, 
a, a comparison uh, between you know the two players. So I mean, you know, him being healthy throughout is is critical to Michigan's success. But I mean, as it relates to the college football playoff, you know, should they get there? I mean, he's going to be the difference maker. Um, you know, that's part of what they lacked in 2021 when they went up against Georgia. They didn't really have uh, that quarterback who could really, you know, threaten the defense in that way. And so J.J. Um, McCarthy is probably the closest thing that they have to that. Um, and so, like, he's really got to take his game to the next level here. And I think, you know, some of these games are crucial in trying to get to that point. Um, maybe developing the passing game so that they're not, you know, caught in a position like they were in TCU where it was kind of a shootout. And, you know, I mean, McCarthy threw two picks in that game. And, you know, maybe those picks don't get thrown if, you know, they really worked on the passing game a little bit more during the season. I mean, last year people were also, you know, arguing like, why aren't you using some of these opportunities like uh, in the preseason or even, well, preseason, I mean, the non-conference schedule, but or the, uh, you know, even some of the conference games when they easily were, you know, kind of up ahead, like, why aren't you working on the passing game? And, you know, again, they, they got to a point in the season, obviously against TCU, where they had to use the passing game. And it worked in a lot of ways, but it also, you know, backfired on them big time with those two pick sixes. And so, like, uh, and one of them, it looked like, you know, again, they weren't on the same page. And so, uh, does he make those errors if, you know, that, that is kind of a impressed upon him early that like, Hey, we need to, we need to pass the ball more. And so I think that's, that's important, uh, in the next couple of weeks to see where JJ's really grown in that, you know, capacity, whether it's the chemistry with the receivers, choosing when to run the ball and everything else too, and just making, making decisions. I think something that is also overlooked in the, conversation around JJ McCarthy his his uh, his growth arc um is the coaches were learning how to use his skill set too right they have not had uh, a quarterback who can do the things JJ McCarthy has done maybe ever right and so and so and so they they were trying to 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 figure out how to use him best and mu- much of that was unleashing his legs right and there mm-hmm. is that give and take how much do we let him run while knowing he is our key and we must must protect him, right? But I think this year, the way to get JJ to that next level is you gotta, as the kids say, let him cook. And and he, and I think he's getting he does that with his legs. I mean, according to PFF, uh JJ McCarthy had the highest graded uh he was the highest graded quarterback on play action passes in the country last year. Uh, mm-hmm. at, at 92 point at 92.9 on a PFF grade, which is an elite, elite grade. Um and we saw what Michigan was able to start doing against TCU when he started running and when they and when they Michigan does not run a lot of actual RPOs. It's like there there is play action and then there are run options, but run pass option, not a lot of it. Um, I think that is another I think that is another element and layer that they are, should be. I I would imagine J.J. McCarthy would be perfectly capable of handling that they need to continue to do this. But Reiner, like you just said, I mean, I think I don't know if we said it on like on our last pod or if it was off air, you and I have a lot of these conversations, but w- one thing I know I've said to you, I don't know if it was recorded is if I'm Michigan, I don't uh, short of a sack uh, that, that we can't control. I don't let JJ McCarthy get touched in the non-conference season. You are not allowed to take a hit like at all period. You run, you slide and that's it. And if he can do that and if he's, and if you can give me a handshake that I will not take one single hit that I'm not, that I 
am not like ready for or like unprepared to take, then then that's when you do unleash the offense. I mean, you don't give away all the secrets, but you do have to figure out, is Roman my guy? Is Cornelius my guy? Or is, is it Tyler Morris, my high school buddy? How much can I use my legs? And I mean, oh yeah, there's Colston Loveland, our All-American tight end. How I mean, there, there's a lot of balance to get to to figure it out. And but I think it starts with JJ extending plays, which he did so well last year. Yeah, and I think you know again, JJ's. They, you know, you know what you're, you know what you have with Blake Corum, and you know what you have with Donovan. And I mean, you do know generally what you have with JJ. But again, there's also this kind of intrigue about whether he can take that next step and become this kind of elite quarterback at the college level. I mean, you know, and then, you know, maybe eventually the Heisman conversation, um, you know, uh, you know, obviously he's in Michigan's offense. You're somewhat restricted, I guess, as a quarterback, but, you know, maybe JJ McCarthy is the guy that kind of, you know, takes that to, um, you know, removes those, you know, uh, handcuffs, so to speak. And, and, you know, forces Michigan to be able to, want to use him because again, I, you know, they can get through the big 10 schedule fine with the formula that they've used the last couple of years, but comes, you know, the CFP, I mean, that, you know, that's obviously been the roadblock. And so they, they need to prepare for the event that they're going to face, you know, Georgia and Alabama. And that's when, you know, you're, you're, I mean, quarterback play is going to be essential. And so JJ McCarthy has got to get himself ready for that possibility. Right. And I mean, I wouldn't write them past Penn State or Ohio State, but 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 the point no, remains. No. Your, your, your point remains. Yeah. Um, and this is when it would be awfully nice. I mean, yes. Uh, I mean, it's it's a great time that we like we're able to go on sidelines and in the press boxes and in the press conferences and talk to all the people that we're able to. But one thing we are not able to do is go to practice. Right. And actually see how the chemistry looks. And so that's why we are left a little bit to open to interpretation. However, uh, Big Ten Network has access that we don't have. And they finished their tour of, of camps around every single Big Ten team uh, around the conference. And Howard Griffith uh, ranked his quarterbacks um, per his eye. And, and, and he had J.J. McCarthy at the top. So, yes, only two quarterbacks in the Big Ten return. So there is a ton of turnover um, and, and not a lot of familiar names. But the point, but the, but the point remains that he he is seen in very good light, and when when people in the know had eyes on him, he was still doing well. And so, I think there's full reason to to have confidence in, in JJ. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, I think again, I mean, all eyes will be on him as they always are. Um, you know, uh, this this year it presents a different situation for him. He's going into week one as the unquestioned starter and so last year he wasn't i mean don't forget kate mcnamara started against colorado state week one so i mean you know he's the guy and everybody's going to be kind of looking at him uh going forward it's a great point and not just the guy now he's been the guy since spring right which has given yeah. all all that time you know, mm -hmm. so great point uh and on that note i think we'll put a bow there and take a quick break because when we come back uh Jim Harbaugh spoke today. Uh, we're going to talk about his media availability and what we heard on Stadium in Maine. Actually, technically, that's on state, but we call it Stadium in Maine. So we'll be right back. You're listening to Hail Yes. Welcome back to Hail Yes. And... Just a couple hours ago, we heard from not Michigan's only head coach, but both of its 
Well, its main head coach and then its interim head coach, acting head coach, Jim Harbaugh and Jesse Minter. They both addressed media today. Uh, but we're going to we're going to try to keep it to what Jim said, because we could talk about that for hours, as always. Um, but how he opened uh, is where I want to begin. And I want to open that with that, Reiner. And it was a, a lengthy speech. It looked like he had many notes written down, thought out about uh, revenue sharing and the future of college athletics and what he thinks is fair and unfair for players. Uh, what did you think about Jim Harbaugh's thoughts? Well, I mean, I, you know, again, he's tackling an issue that uh, was on a lot of people's minds about how much of a cut the players deserve uh, based on all the money that's being made in college football via TV contracts and, you know, the realignment uh, proceeds that I guess, you know, schools are, are getting with, you know, switching conferences and, you know, all that, those points are legitimate with, you know, um, because again, the model seems messed up right now. I mean, there's so much turmoil and people don't really understand the world of NIL and what it means, but the, he didn't really present any kind of solution to the revenue sharing. I mean, he mentioned some corporations and how they, they share, but the, you know, those corporations have employees An employee model could introduce a whole new can of worms that, you know, and could force, you know, potentially the smaller programs to, you know, drop football together. And then that would create its own issues because again, football is one of two re- really revenue producing sports. And so the, they kind of carry uh, the load for the rest of the athletic program with the smaller sports. So, I mean, you, there's, a, there's so many issues and to just say that you're in favor of revenue sharing doesn't really say much. I mean, I think, you know, uh, there are coaches that would be on board with that. I mean, it sounds great to recruits and players that you're supportive of them making money. I mean, who, who wouldn't want to hear that as a player? But again, there's no real solution there. He said, you know, leave it up to the lawyers and other people there too. Yeah. And also, um, to who might not, I mean, what Jim continued to say is he's speaking for himself, right? And the reason right. he needed to say that multiple times is, do you know who might not be on board with this idea? Is his university. Because if you are revenue sharing, excuse me, and you are the largest or most well-known brand, arguably, not just in your conference, but in the nation, which way do you think that revenue is getting shared, right? (laughs) Are people sharing it up with you or are you trickling it down? And so it could mean less bottom dollar. And now it could still mean more for your players and then you get better players and then you win more and it's still kumbaya and good, but it's not as simple or I think people would have done it a long time ago as just share revenue and and give it to players. Now, just because Jim Harbaugh did not present the framework or the roadmap or the pathway to do it in my mind, doesn't mean he's wrong. Uh, And, and and I, I I think he's right. And I, it's, I mean, that's again, another personal opinion, but as companies continue to grow, the people who make those companies money, should do it now. This is not a normal like the like like the the, the different like the steel corporations and and things. I'm trying to remember who he exactly uh, equated this to. And while it's not an apples to apples comparison, you, it's when when there's more revenue coming in, everybody should share it. It should not just get shared at the top. It's it's like it's like what we're seeing in the political world right now, right? I guess, but I mean, well, I mean the uh, the other situation. He also brought up you know the Nike. 
uh, Air Movie, uh, you know, with Michael Jordan and, you know, the initial uh, contract he signed with Nike where he wanted a cut of the, you know, the proceeds from selling the shoe. Uh, Well, I mean, technically that's NIL. uh, If you negotiate that into your NIL contract, like, I mean, you know, technically, like if you sign an endorsement promotional deal, which is NIL and that you're making money off your name, image and likeness, which is what Michael Jordan's, you know, image is on the actual Air Jordan shoe, uh, him soaring through the air on the and his name, yeah, so and, I mean, all of it. And so I thought that was a weird, you know, uh, analogy to kind of point to as, uh, you know, because nil does exist now, and that would if be I may, if I may. Yeah. This is bad podcasting, but if if I may, I got to interject right there very quickly because. I think I don't think he was trying to be exactly apples to apples, but he's trying to show the corporation or use an example, right? Like he's showing yeah. he's not showing Michigan what they need to do. He's showing the NCAA or like the 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 other guy, like, look, you can share and we can both benefit, right? So while it's not exactly well, yes, it is NIL, I think he was just mi- making a greater picture. That was my understanding. I agree, but I mean again, you know, NIL, that's what they're they're endorsing certain players because they think the player can help their brand. And that's what Nike did. And it was just the details of the con with, with the revenue sharing that were were being dealt with. So I mean that's that's something that you can probably do now. I don't know again the legalities of it, but the idea that uh NIL that that what is essentially an NIL situation if it was just applied to college because it's again a, a, it's a product, you know, paying, you know, uh, for an athlete to endorse them or you know they're in, you know having the athlete again pitch product for them, which is what, you know, again they attach their their brand to Michael Jordan's name, image, likeness. And so that's you know, I thought that was again a strange way of putting it because that technically is what exists. But I mean, again, if you're going to have a revenue sharing model, you know, as it relates to the university, that's an employment thing, and then you know, that's a possible that opens a whole new can of worms as far as like you know how that's going to work with you know unionization, uh, collective bargaining, all that stuff. And so again, we're getting way out off there, but it's again. It's easy to say that you're for revenue sharing and then not provide a solution. Yeah. The Pandora's box seems like we're about to open it. It is very intimidating. I agree. Um, However, if you know you're headed somewhere, I I I think calling it out ahead of time is, I mean, I'm not saying Jim Harbaugh, like, like, he didn't do the right thing, but he he is calling to an attention to an issue that has existed. And as he said, he did it last year at Big Time Media Day and, and, and a few years before. And just very quickly, um, I mean, th- there are Board of Regents members uh, at U of M right now who are taking this opportunity uh, to, to sort of share their feelings. And one of them like, is probably someone who Harbaugh, I mean, was not directing directly alluding to, but the type of person. Um, wow. It's going to be his second name drop in two podcasts, I believe. Uh, Jordan Acker, also an attorney. Um, he has a, a threat he, he likes to espouse on, on, on the Twitter or the X, whatever you call it. And he and in his thread, uh, he's thanking Jim for, for sharing these thoughts, for going to bat for his players. And one of the things he says is, in his view, the chancellors and presidents alongside the commissioner should be the ones 
making the decision because otherwise it's going to end up in the hands of federal judges who don't have the same subject matter expertise, right? And so it's it's like this decision is going to get made by someone. We want to be the ones making it or let's let us have a say in it before we hand it over to the courts. Yeah, I mean, and that makes sense. And the one thing I will say about, you know, Jim Harbaugh has been consistent about this. I mean, raising, you know, players' rights issues, whether it was the, you know, the one-time free transfer, this subject, uh, you know, so uh, it makes sense. But, you know, again, it's it's hard to kind of come out there and say, like, you know, this needs to be done without providing any kind of real, again, pathway towards getting to that, that goal. And so, uh, I mean, it was, uh, again, I think it was us, his way in some ways of trying to take everyone's eye off the ball a little bit. Also, you know, obviously paint the NCAA is not the great guy, whereas, you know, they're under NCAA investigation still. And so, uh, well, like, you know, why are you picking on the good guy, you know, who's trying to find a solution for like this much bigger matter that is probably more relevant to a lot more people than, you know, just this little minor investigation as it relates to one school but like it's it's uh you know again he's dealing with the you know the nca investigation at the same time and is also feeling you know the repercussions of that nca investigation at this time when he's also making a thing against well you know this this matter needs to be uh you know kind of you need to you need to focus on this matter not this matter kind of situation I do think, yeah, I don't think you, the, the timing of his statement was a coincidence, right? And I asked him that. I was like, I was like, so why, like, why now is this the time to really make this, this point? And he, and he, he had a good point. He's like, I've said this. He's like, I've been saying this for years, but he has not taken notes. And at the beginning of a press conference, taken six uninterrupted minutes to speak. Now, six minutes, like when you, to, to someone is like, oh, six minutes, that's not that long time. You don't know how long six un- uninterrupted minutes of speaking is with 50 people all staring at you waiting to ask questions, right? Like you can ask him a question and get an answer for six seconds. So for it to be six minutes, like I think there there is there was some element. I don't he'll, he'll never admit it. There was some element of making sure he looked like the sort of like a moral authority and like he is always looking out for the players, for the best interest of everyone. And look at what the big, like, to your point, I agree fully, like, look at what the big mean NCAA is doing. And look, I'm not just saying my team should get it. I'm not just saying my, like, my program or my school should get it. I'm saying everyone should get it, right? It's so easy to look like, oh, yeah, like, absolutely. And he's a huge face, right? So, but it's, it can't be taken away. It's not nothing for him to say this, right? Like, his name is on this statement forever. However, the timing is doesn't seem to be a coincidence to me, but 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 that can be fine because because what he can be saying can still be true, right? And you know we'll never know the you know the full reasons for why he came out there for doing it, but like um, you know it is you know strange that at the same time that you know again the main topic that everybody was interested in hearing of, from him about when the press conference began was the suspension and you know he only had a statement you know i'm not you know i'm not going to get bitter but better uh right when that uh suspension was announced it's self-imposed and so this was his first time to really talk about that and his feelings and he described it as like getting a neat um you know uh 
uh, a club baseball to the kneecap, bat. yeah, baseball bat to the kneecap uh, versus a slap on the wrist. And so clearly he doesn't love the idea of being suspended. And I think it's, uh, you know, something that really probably sticks in his craw. Um, and he doesn't want to be seen as, you know, a coach who had to be suspended uh, at any point. I mean, who does? And then you're also during a season when you might actually have a shot in a national championship, I think is, you know, cause again, it creates an awkward aside. We've mentioned this, like every time we've talked that that's a possibility of like, well, other fan bases are going to use that against Michigan uh, and uh, as a way to criticize them. And you did And we, we all wanted to talk about the suspension, right? And we understand that he's not going to be able to get into the specifics of it and, and, and how it's all shaken out. But what he can say is, like, like what he did today, what he did on the on the revenue sharing. He's like, look, this isn't Michigan's stance. This is my opinion. He's perfectly allowed to give his opinion on anything, right? I mean, I'm not. I mean, it would be jeopardizing himself, but he could fully say, like, yeah, I'm really, really bummed. And he did. He did in some sort of ways. But I think you did an awesome job of asking, like, how were you informed, right? Like, was this a collaborative process? Uh, are you, um, like? Are you, did you, did you accept it? Because what, like the, how you said it is exactly right. I mean, Jim Harbaugh is still not accepting these level one ac- accusations. He is saying that those aren't that he's saying that anything saying he misled the NCAA is not true. However, Michigan has self-imposed a three game suspension on him. You don't get a three game suspension for the level two violations, meaning they are giving some credence to the fact that this is in the ether. And I think you did a phenomenal job asking, well, I mean, how do you feel about that? Right. And he, he, he really sidestepped it, but, but yeah. that's, that's, mm-hmm. that's the real thing here. I, in my mind, that's the real story, like the disconnect between, but it's also because they have, as we talked last time, they have, they probably have differing agendas, Michigan and Jim Harbaugh. Well, so yeah, someone close to Harbaugh told me that, uh, you know, Harbaugh doesn't think he really did anything wrong. And so he's not, he's not really happy about the suspension. And so like, so again, it creates an awkward dynamic with him and Ward. I mean, don't forget Ward Manuel gave him a pay cut after the 2020 season. Now there's a suspension too. And then you have had all the drama in the off season with the NFL stuff. That relationship is, you know, keeps, you know, there's, weird stuff that keeps influencing that relationship and affecting it. And it's got to be very, very, very strange at this point. Uh, and, you know, again, that person told me that I think, you know, him and Ward don't always agree on things, but their relationship's better than it, it may be portrayed. But at the same token, I mean, like, again, the stuff is cumulative and it does wear on probably both of them uh, to the point that, you know, again, What's what is it going to mean uh, come January of next year when you know again, or, you know we hit the NFL you know coaching cycle and you know whatever the outcome of this season and how it affects everything is kind of subject to chance and I don't think that this situation helps things as far as uh, you know keeping it uh, you know necessarily Harbaugh happy. Uh, <laughs> you know, as it relates to, you know, a future at Michigan. I don't think it does. But as he says, he he reassesses at the end of every year. Yep. He, he no, no man knows what the future can hold. 
Yeah. And that's and that's how we end in this merry-go-round, right? Like up and yeah. down and round and round she goes, 365. So at least we heard something from him, not I can't say it. Um, because I at least appreciated uh him saying that while he didn't use the word frustrated, I mean calling it uncharted water. I don't know what I'm going to do. I mean, all the talk about I haven't missed three games since I broke my arm against Michigan State in 84. I mean, like, he's a football. For whatever Jim Harbaugh is, he's a football guy. And he is not happy that uh, he isn't going to be around. And for what it's worth, I think one of my good buddies' uh, son is on Jim Harbaugh's son's football team. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to get a schedule. See see where uh, Jack Harbaugh's game is at. See if we can see if we can find where he'll be Saturday. That'll be interesting. Um, right? Yeah. You know. Would you go? Would you go? Well, <laughs> no. Are you gonna are, are you gonna be in East Lansing on Friday and then you'll you'll be with me on that's, Saturday? Right? Yeah, that's the plan. That's the plan. Yes, for sure. I don't know if we'll have Sean with us too. We gotta. We should send someone on Jack Harbaugh football watch. That could be interesting. <laughs> I mean, but actually, if you think about what the numbers that would do. I know yeah. we're not we're not here for them, but like I mean, just the, just the interest it would generate. People would love to know what Jim Harbaugh actually did on Saturday, but I know that's just a pipe dream for me. All right, we're gonna wrap that here, and then when we come back, uh, we're bringing in Andrew Burkle, our producer and of the show, one of our sports editors, and another very good football mind, uh, who I know will probably lap me in these predictions. It's not saying much, but here we go. That's coming up next. Welcome back to Hail Yes. It is time for the picks. But before we do that, uh, we need an official introduction to Andrew Burkle, our sports editor, our producer of Hail Yes, uh, and really the man who makes all the things operate and come together in the sports scene, in the sports department, behind the scenes, I should say. Uh, He's also my good buddy. He helped me get hired here a year and a half ago. I hope I helped return the favor. Whether I did or not, he's here. Uh, so, Andrew, is that is that all accurate? I think. Well, you didn't you didn't mess it up. I'll say that you definitely didn't mess it up. But yeah. So, Tony, I was uh, um, uh, running our website at a TV station we both worked at together. Uh, they uh, Kirkland, who's our sports editor, called me, and then we returned the favor. So, long story short, uh, Tony and I are working together for the second time, and uh, it's been just as good so far as it was the last time. So excited to be part of this podcast and. And uh, school on you guys and some picks every week. <laughs> you will. And it's funny, very quickly. He was my recommendation when I was getting hired to the free press because technically he was <laughs> a web editor. But then I had got to the free press. He's like, hey, do you think you could recommend me to your boss? I was like, I, I, was like, I think that's the least I could do. Um, so it I, goes uh, around. Yep. His name's Andrew, but I call him Andy. I almost did it on the pod. Andrew, take it away. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, guys, let's get into the, the week one matchups here. So, not as loaded as it typically has been in the last few years. Um, I think some of it has to do with the college football playoff. Only four teams. You really can't mess up early on. So uh, a couple more cupcakes than we're used to seeing. But there are still some good games out there. We'll start with some Big Ten action. Ohio State versus Indiana. OSU has a lot of these early season games against Big Ten, that week one game against the Big Ten opponent, it seems like. Um, but, uh, Reiner, let's start with you. Who are you taking? Minus 29 and a half, Ohio State, almost favored by 30 points against a Big Ten opponent. But uh, who are you taking in this one? To take in Indiana, I just think, you know, with OSU having to break in a new quarterback, they got to iron out some kinks. And I think, you know, Tom Allen will be able to uh, figure out something, you know, to kind of slow them down a little bit. Uh, not to the point that obviously they they beat them, but, you know, the, you know, at least not to be able to kind of, uh, 
keep within striking distance or at least, you know, the spread uh, of uh, Ohio State. So I, I just don't I don't see Ohio State um, covering, I guess, in that sense. Tony, you got a pick for us? I do. Uh, I'm going the opposite way. Um, I've just there's a few rules I, I have, and I, it's not like the don't bet against Alabama, but it's close to it. And uh, Ohio State, I guess I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it feels like early in the season. I mean, unless it's like those Virginia Tech games, like obvious games where they fall or Oregon, they've, they've dropped a couple big non-conference games. They just hammer teams early on. And that's because the talent deficit is so great that when other teams, in my opinion, that when other teams are sort of figuring out those kinks, Ohio State can do it, but they're figuring out kinks with five stars. Well, Indiana's doing it with three stars. And, um, and I mean, right. And, and the Buckeyes, I mean, their, their backfield is loaded. Um, they just, the sense I got, uh, down in Indianapolis, I mean, they are pissed off. Uh, they, it's been more than a decade since they've been looked at like this, perceived like this, talked about like this. I mean, I think Ohio State wins by 42. 45. I mean, I, I think they lay a smackdown on Indiana in what sets the tone for Tom Allen's final season in Bloomington. All right. So I'm kind of, I'll split the difference here. I'm going to land on Ohio State as well. So, one rule that I typically follow uh, in football uh, picks is the NFL, everyone is designed, the whole system is designed to keep teams close, right? They're all about roughly equal teams. The whole system is designed to make them for parity. College football, Largely is the opposite. As Tony mentioned, Ohio State's going to be trying to figure it out, but they're figuring it out with five-star guys versus Indiana. There's no preseason. Indiana Indiana doesn't have any more of a head start than Ohio State. Also, the quarterback battle between uh, Kyle McCord and Devin Brown, that makes me want to actually pick Ohio State more because these guys are both fighting for their jobs. So if McCord goes out there and lays an egg in the first half, say he's the starter in the first half, Brown gets the second half or vice versa, like these guys are fighting for their job and – Indiana's enough of an opponent. They're not, you know, for example, East Carolina or someone else like that. They're they're a Big Ten football team. They can't mess around. So I think Ohio State takes care of business and, and easily covers that 29 and a half. So, I mean, we saw the importance last year in Michigan's opener. I mean, it, it felt pretty. Cade McNamara had a bad first half and JJ came in and looked better. And it was pretty quick. We were like, ooh, like that looked notable, right? And so... To, to your point, I mean, these are very, very significant snaps for them. And whoever wins the job, while it's not while it's not going to be a, a proven quarterback like a C.J. Stroud walking in the door, they're throwing to Marvin Harrison Jr. They're throwing to Mecca Abuka. They have a loaded backfield, right? They're uh, sober on tight end. I mean, they, they have talent all over the field. So who, whoever it is. Um, yeah. No, no. I was just saying you're equating Indiana to uh, Colorado State. That's, that's pretty, pretty harsh. <laughs> It was kind of funny you Indy. mentioned the J.J. McCarthy and and yeah. uh, McNamara thing. It's almost like that situation has become like a horror story for starting quarterbacks across the country. It's like, oh, uh, well, why did Peyton Thorne leave Michigan State? Oh, he didn't want to have he didn't want to have a Cade McNamara situation. Oh, uh, why is Mikhail McCord need to play well against in the first? Hey, you don't want to have a Cade McNamara situation. It's funny how like how quickly that became like a reality that if you even if you're starting that first game it might be it might be a fake starting job so uh it's funny how that's quickly kind of uh transcended across college football here so uh second game we're not so much as well uh picking this game because of the two teams involved more so because of one of the teams involved and one of the new coaches Deion sanders taking over colorado playing tcu in game one uh a fun showdown tcu favored by 21 and a half obviously made it the championship game last year, as Michigan fans know all too well. 
What are you guys seeing? Tony, we'll start with you on this one. Who's, who are you picking, TCU or Colorado? Yeah, I mean, I feel like everybody in the public, like Joe Public, is probably going to be on Colorado because of Dion uh, and, and just, just being the known name. However, TCU lost a ton from last year, right? Like this is this is not the the same TCU team. And now now they were not projected to go to go to a natty. I think they're projected to finish in like the middle of the Big Twelve. But it's really hard to lose a Max Duggan, to lose a Quentin Johnson, to lose a, a Hodge Tomlinson on defense. Um, I can't remember their linebacker or Reiner, the guy we met that that computer Johnny Hodges. Yeah. I think his name yeah. was at linebacker. Right. I mean, right. I was so impressed yeah. with that guy. He was so yeah. awesome. Um, but TCU just does not have the, the same depth. Now, could they still win? Of course. <laughs> I mean, because Dion brought his own luggage to Colorado and is Louie. And but but it's but it's not there yet. I guess that's what he's bringing. And so and he got rid of all the the JC Penny and all the BS bags that they have laying around in Colorado. So there might not be a ton of talent there right now. Um, but I'm still going to go with them because I think TCU is replacing too much, and 21 is a lot of points, and Dion is still a good coach. Yeah, I disagree just because, uh, you know, again, Colorado just basically blew up their entire roster and they're, you know, again, having a coach that's moving from the FCS level to the FBS going against a guy who just led his team to a college football playoff. And Sonny Dykes is, uh, you know, is a good coach and, you know, can really uh, scheme up things himself. I mean, uh, he's got a good offensive mind and now they lost Garrett Riley, you know, as the OC. So it'll be interesting to see what they do from an offensive standpoint, but I just think, you know, given the fact that Colorado just had so much change across the roster and there's just a huge unknown, I just think, and, and again, TCU, um, you know, is, you know, coming back with a, you know, I guess a decent, a decent roster, not, I don't know if anything close to what they had last year, but, you know, I, I give Sonny Dykes the benefit of the doubt and I just, I'm a little bit uh, circumspect, um, the whole changing your entire program basically in one off season and how that's going to play out week one. So I'm going with uh, TCU. All right. So Andrew's going to have to break it again. I know. Here we go again. Uh, I like how this is playing out. So um, I, I agree with you, Reiner. I don't think Colorado is going to have that instant turnaround where it's like, Oh, all of a sudden they're 10 and two. However, sometimes I just like to think about sitting on the couch on Saturday and what I can see happening. And I can just see it now. TCU starts slow. They have a whole new team. You're sitting there. You're watching. The announcers are getting all excited like, oh, my God, look how quickly Deion Sanders turned this thing around. And I don't think they're going to win. I think TCU wins. But I bet you Colorado scares them a little bit. So I'm going to take the 21 and a half, and I'm I'm, going to split the difference again and side with Tony on this one. Two for two. (laughs) Two for two. Really really what that means is Owen, too. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So – I, I talked about I talked smack about about beating you in the picks and then we picked the same team for the first two picks. So, <laughs> anyways, all right, final pick here. We got LSU and Florida State game of the week, a top ten showdown, no doubt. This game is being played on Sunday, so uh, almost like an NFL type layout here. So we have LSU favored by two and a half. The game is being played on a neutral site in Orlando. Reiner, who do you got? I got LSU for this one. Uh, I just think, you know, with Jaden Daniels and then you have a really strong defense. A lot of people are really bullish on on LSU from people I talk to are kind of very familiar with the SEC. So uh, they think that they're, you know, really a dark horse national title contender. Now, if I'm Michigan, uh, I'd probably want uh, 
LSU to win this game because if Florida State wins it, um, you know, they have a pretty decent pass and a much easier ACC, whereas LSU still has to contend with the SEC West. So um, if you're a Michigan fan, I think you'd rather have uh, LSU win this game than you would FSU. But anyway, I'm picking uh, LSU to win. So, ah, yes, because you're a Michigan fan, like we mentioned earlier. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> no. Um. So I'm gonna. I guess we're just gonna disagree on everything today, Reiner. Uh, I'm <laughs> going to go. I'm going to go with Florida State. And no, it is not because my girlfriend graduated from Florida State, or her father graduated from Florida State, and I need to stay in his good graces. Um. It's because. Uh. I just. I think. It's, it's a really tough game, and it, it could go either way. I like the points. Um, I think Florida State could actually even win this uh, straight up. So if you're going to take him plus two and a half, maybe sprinkle a little juice on the money line. Uh, Jared Verse, a defensive end, he was on my on my All-American preseason team. Uh, I mean, I think he could be a top 15, potentially top 10 pick uh, this year. Uh, they just added Keon Coleman from Michigan State, who might have been one of the top three receivers in the Big Ten had he stayed this year. Uh, Johnny Wilson is a huge target on the outside. He's also another first potentially round potential NFL receiver. I mean, they got legit dudes, right? Mike Norvell actually has this thing going. And to your point, Reiner, they got two games. Two, I'm kind of like Michigan, but mm-hmm. Michigan's games are in November, right? It's Penn State and Ohio State. Florida State, it's front loaded, baby. We got LSU to kick it off. Then you got to go to Clemson on September 30th, 23rd, 30th, one of those. Um, And so by the end of this month, Florida State will know if they're going to go to the college football playoff or or how or how good their chances. Uh, chop on. What do they say? Chop on. Some about chop. Go Knowles. I don't know. So go Knowles. Well, you seem like the Florida State expert here. You got their schedule memorized and everything over there. So I think we'll 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 refer to you on their. Well, chance. I told you I'm being indo- I'm being indoctrinated <laughs> by by people. I think I think uh, I think uh, my her my girlfriend's father was there when Dion was there in, in the in the 90s. So I mean I mean we're talking like Florida State heavy and I voted for for the AP team. I, I can do the I can do the LSU thing. Jaden Daniels I think is a great Heisman bet. Uh if, if you're not gonna go Caleb Williams, I, I think there I don't know his juice. I don't know what the odds are, but I think they're uh, I mean back when he was at Arizona State, very good. Um Harold Perkins for my money, the best linebacker in America for LSU and he gets to line up behind i can't remember i think it's jaron smith or something it's got two names mason smith something uh he got injured last year that defensive tackle for lsu uh and and now but but he is a behemoth like a really really large man and they got big depth on the inside so there's your lsu fsu breakdown it's really about well, your, your family as brian Kelly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's why you picked them uh, yeah, I, I mean, you know, but Brian Kelly's also, I mean, again, he's got that thing going too. I mean, him and Mark North, just, Mike Novell have done a good job. Uh, but anyway, you know, that's just uh, just an aside. On to you, Andrew. Uh, the SEC does not mess around in these preseason showdowns. They have a ridiculous record in the in the cross across conference matchups for a reason. So, when in doubt, I'm going to roll with the SEC in in this one and. Like you said, Tony, LSU, they, they have Jaden Daniels. They have Brian Kelly got this thing rolling in year two. And then they just always have dudes. So with LSU, it comes down a lot of times to what's the quarterback situation. Uh, and is it good enough to allow the ridiculous athletes they have on the D-line and, and linebacker and receiver all over the field uh, to succeed? And I, and I think this is a, a legit team from everything you hear about LSU. This is 
This is one of their good ones. And now, will they survive a conference that has uh, the Georgia and Alabama? I know Georgia's in the opposite division, but theoretically, if they're going to make it to the playoff, they're going to have to play them in the SEC championship. That means they only have one loss in the regular season available. So I don't know if they make the playoff just because of how tough the SEC is, but I think they knock off Florida State in this one. Yeah, no doubt that's the game I'm looking forward to the most this weekend. And I, I think that's the game America's looking forward to the most this weekend. However, the game all of you listening to <laughs> this are most looking forward to, I'm sure, is Michigan versus East Carolina. And the next time you hear us, that's what we will be breaking down. So just very quickly, this is going to be the plan is this is the only pod this week. Normally, we will be doing two a week in advance. Uh, on Sunday, we will record for a Monday morning, breaking down the game that just happened. And then on Wednesday, we will record for Thursday to preview the upcoming game. And of course, get into all the other news and notes that, that, that happen in between. But this will be the only episode for this week. Next time you hear us, uh, it will drop next Monday uh, before the before Jim Harbaugh and, or whoever's <laughs> coaching previews UNLV. And then we will be back on Thursday to, to, to talk about that game. So that's how it goes. That's the schedule. And got to give some thanks. So we cannot do this and cannot make this happen without Editor-in-Chief Nicole Avery Nichols. She, uh, she guides us as we continue to follow our North Star. Uh, Executive Ange- Editor Anjanette Delgado. Sports Editor Kirkland Crawford. Audio Engineer Robin Chan. Of course, who you just heard, Producer and Editor Andrew Burkle. And of course, all of you, the listeners, uh, we've loved getting this going so far. So please continue to rate, review, subscribe. It's so annoying you hear that on podcasts, but it actually helps. It legitimately makes a difference. So take five seconds to do it. Uh, and like I said, send me a picture when you do it. And then eventually when we get enough, I will have to determine what that is. I'll send out some reward to someone random. There will be more specifics on that to come shortly. Uh, I, I know that was great podcasting. That was well done. Reiner, fantastic. Andrew, good work as always. That's going to do it on this episode of Hail Yes. We'll see you next week.